Hello and welcome to They Behave For Me, a podcast brought to you by me, Anna Moxer. And me, Amy Forrester. We're going to be covering all things education. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I've got, I think I've got a nut stuck in my throat. <laughs> like a little chopped, you know, these biscuits with dinner. I thought you said, I've got a nut sack in my throat then for a moment. I was like... <laughs> no, no, just... No. It's dreadful. Okay, do you want to carry on? Well, go for it. We're going to be covering all things education. (laughs) Shut up. Policy, curriculum, teaching and learning and much more. And we're going to be coming to you every Friday afternoon to take you into the weekend. They Behave For Me is powered by Carousel Learning, an innovative online learning platform that aims to boost your students' memory and help you strategically plan for retrieval practice over time. It does homework, it does classwork, it does detailed analytics and feedback, and it's guaranteed to reduce your workloads. To be like the thousands of teachers already using Carousel and find out more, go to carousel-learning.com. That's carousel-learning.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to hit subscribe so you can hear us every week. The best way to support us is by sharing the love. So if you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy They Behave For Me, please do feel free to let them know about us. We're back! Yeah, we had a half term. Yeah, it feels like it's been ages now. Yeah, I've had a busy week, me. Oh, do tell. Yeah, so I was out yesterday doing level three safeguarding. Now that's always a a really uh, rough day. Was it a lot of powerpoints? No, do you know what the people that do it locally here? Absolutely wonderful. Huh. Like it's not deaf by PowerPoint. They bring it to life. They're like normal West Cumbrian lasses, bags of experience, absolute no nonsense legends. So it could be really dull and difficult to sit through but it's not because those two are brilliant good yeah so i did that and then today we had a visit off mark Rowland in school which was really nice so i got to spend some time with him he observed one of my lessons and he had a look in our behavior center and i talked to him about what we do there and that was cool so well why did he tell our listeners who he is yeah so mark is like he's basically the go-to guy for sort of pupil premium and and disadvantage and he's he's working um in cumbria because we've got quite a unique local challenge on our hands um complicated by various factors unique to cumbria um so he's working sheep. with sheep <laughs> shit yeah it's the sheep um, he's working with a whole range of schools in cumbria so he's going out visiting them like helping us look at what we could be doing better what good practice we've all got that we can share so it's really exciting and really like we're really really lucky to have him working with Cumbria as a whole um and it was really nice to have him in our school god so the pe- the people are desperate to hear what's what's the one thing that you want to do differently for people premium students um well we're, we're taking a wider view of disadvantage that goes beyond people premium um, so we're including pupil premium, but we're also, we would include sending that, you know, like the wider description that Ofsted sort yeah. of work with. That's that's the approach we're doing. Um, and I think the one thing that we we need to do sort of next, we've got pockets of really good practice in our school. Um, and we've had that verified from lots of sort of external um, viewpoints to check that we're right in what we think um, and they agree but I think it's about taking that more whole school and make like taking the expertise that we've got um, and rather than it working well with pockets of students we need to 
to pull that out across the school as a whole. So that's that's my one thing. Very good. It's a big and, thing. Um, and I was being a bit flippant with the sheep, but that's also a real thing, isn't it? They all go off to shear the sheep at some point, don't they? Yeah, like genuinely they do. So like it, it, it is an issue for like our farming students. Like my year 11 class, um, there's two lads in there that both have farms um, and they're off lambing pretty much from now so they're up at like they're up all night doing it um sometimes it affects attendance as well although my two lads are pretty good for going no i need to be in school as well and what, um, what is that that's delivering lambs yeah um wow. but it, it goes well beyond that so like one of mine does like whenever there's lambing problems so like if a birth isn't straightforward on the farm he does like the work with the vet so he operates on his lambs and his sheep that's fantastic, um, isn't it? Yeah, he did his he did a spoken language like presentation for English that they have to do, and he brought in all these pictures of like live operations that he was doing. I mean, they were pretty gruesome. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Um, but it was amazing. Like you realise, like although it can give us some further challenges in school to overcome for those kids, um, they've also got a whole host of skills that they're set up for. I love that. I think that's great. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's much better than what most of my kids are up all night doing, which is <laughs> that was alarming. Yeah, it's just like watching telly or on their phones or whatever. I still yeah, I mean, don't get things. me wrong. We've got a, we've got a bit of that as well, but there's there's plenty lambing as well. I bet you do. I got, I got this one kid. He was like falling asleep in my lessons. I'm like, mate, like, I know it's chemistry in that, but it's rude. <laughs> like, come on, just, just keep keep awake for a sec. And I'm like, I'm like, what time did you go to bed last night? He's like, I don't know, one or two. And I'm like, what were you doing? He's like, we watched TV as a family till midnight. And I'm like... Whose parents oh. have got that much energy? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> that, how am I supposed to... Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Send your kid to bed at a normal yes. time. Oh, do your job. Anyway, um... What should we talk about tonight? We've got a few things on the agenda. Well, I think we've, I think first we've had some really interesting feedback from last, the last episode before half term, which I think we should talk about. Um, yep. And the, the overwhelming topic of conversation in the edu sphere um, has been mobile phones, hasn't it? It has been everywhere. Hasn't it? Just, like, again, it was on Good Morning Britain, my well, little morning routine. It. They even covered it in our on our sister podcast. Um, the rest is politics. Oh right, of, yeah, sister some podcast. Of yeah, some of our listeners might have heard of that one. Um, <laughs> so they were talking about it on that. Um, yes, yes. Let's let's do the feedback first because somebody got in touch to say something really lovely. So just by way of recap, um, one of the things we spoke about in our last episode, which I recommend you check out, and not just do I recommend you check it out, I recommend you check out all of our back catalogue and share them with all of your friends and family and colleagues and neighbours. Um, the last one we did was one of the things we touched on was these extreme behavior meltdown events. Yeah. So when a student is literally just, just toast um, and you, you know, can't get through some or whatever. And one of the things we discussed is that it's not a universal panacea or whatever, but sometimes what can work is just like a straight up distraction technique. Yeah. Um, where, you know, you, if you know the kid, it might be, you ask them about some, you know, you talk to them about something they're interested in. So the two examples I gave were, there was a kid who, um, was literally like flipping tables in the quads and pushing bins over. And I was just like, 
um, do you want to come color in a picture of Pikachu in my lab? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I think I want to do that. And we just did that. And he was perfectly pleased with that. And then there was another kid who uh, was on his way over the school gate. And I asked him about how quickly he could solve a Rubik's cube. <laughs> he came back down again and we had a chat about how quickly he could solve the Rubik's cube. And then he managed to stay in school. doesn't always work. And it's not a good thing. I, you know, some, sometimes people talk about it as like a thing in class where like, um, I don't really know how sometimes people talk like distraction techniques in class. Um, but I think this is really just for like a high level type. Yeah. When a child's completely dysregulated. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always going to work, but you know, sometimes it, no, might. But it can do. Anyway, yeah. so, so, yep. Someone got in touch with us and said the following. A year nine girl was having a meltdown with a member of SLT earlier today and screaming and being quite aggressive. I walked over and I said, my mini whiteboards needed cleaning and she just came straight into my lesson and calmed down. So what he said, so uh, just to go a bit further, he basically just said, um, um, I'm, I'm heading off to my, sorry, I, I didn't write down everything that he said, but basically he said uh, something like, I'm heading off to my room because I need to clean my mini whiteboards. Do you want to come and do it with me? And she was like, basically, yeah. She was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it. Oh no, I did write it down. I've, I've made a complete you mess did? of it. I was going to say, it's right there. Oh. That I thought it was me. No, it was you. He said, um, name, student, seems like you're having a bad day. Uh, and so am I, as my mini whiteboards weren't cleaned by my year 11s at the end of period four. Do you fancy giving me a hand cleaning them for five minutes? And basically he said, she just came straight into my classroom and calmed down. And my approach here came 100% from your last episode. Didn't even know the kids, but I thought I'd try and help. Yeah, you can't say much more than that, can you? I look, you know, I love, I love that kind of that approach in schools where you might not know a kid, you might not know if it's the right thing to do, but you care enough about your kids in your school to go, I'll, I'll try this, because there's lots of people would just walk right past that. Yeah, yeah. And actually, what that member of SLT probably needed is somebody else there to be the distraction. So you're looking out for your team as well. There as as well as the kid, it, it's it's both people. Yeah, totally. Um, actually, something happened today with me. a little bit similar. There were a couple of students outside my room who I think had been kicked out of somebody else's room. I don't I don't really know. Um, and I went outside. They were making a bit of a noise, and I went outside to send them back to where they were supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know these kids at all. And one of them was like, oh no, we need to do this. I said, no, you don't just, please just go back to your room. And one of them starts going back and the other one is going, nah, 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 nah. And I just said, so I said, look, yeah. And we're a big school now, so not everybody knows everyone. I said, um, look, yeah, I know you don't know me and I know I don't know you, but believe me when I tell you, I'm, I'm really not used to students talking back to me. So I'm just going to ask you really, really politely, um, please go back to your classroom. And she was like, fine. <laughs> <And went. laughs> Okay, I'm gonna go. But like, if I had have, if I had have been like, stop arguing back with me, stop talking back to me, or whatever, um, I think that probably wouldn't have worked. No, um, it probably wouldn't have worked. Despite no. the fact that it would have been a like, it's entirely reasonable for an adult to say to, to a child, stop arguing back with me. Yeah, uh, almost Is it helpful at that moment in time. No. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's nice to like put that clear blue water and say, look, what's happened has happened. Okay. Yeah. We are where we are. Um. I'm not dealing with it. All I'm saying to you is I'm going to give you an instruction. Please don't answer me back. Please just follow the instruction. Off you go. Thank you. Yeah. Done. Yeah. And what, what all you've, what you've done there is 
de-escalate a situation completely. You've just took the wind right out of it. Yeah. In a minute or two. Yeah. Lord knows what happened after she left. But... <laughs> Whether they even went to where they should be. <laughs> Who knows? Um, anyway. Um, right. So that's that was a really nice thing to hear. And please, if you do have feedback for us, please do send it in. Um, especially if it's good feedback. Um, yeah, we like good feedback, feedback, don't we? Yes. Well, feedback is a gift. Um, of course, some gifts do go to Oxfam. But... <laughs> In general, feedback is a gift. <laughs> oh. Should we do phones? Yeah, let's do phones. Let's it's do phones. To know, it's difficult to know exactly where to start. Um, for me... Go on. Yeah, sorry, go on. No, do you want to go on? I was going to say, I think when it comes to phones, we've got a headline issue that's happened this week, but there's a really big background to all of this. So, and I think the background is the place to start. That's what I was okay. going to say. Yeah, cool. So the headline is going to be the government's guidance on mobile phones, which came out last yep. week. But the background is the um, theorized scourge that is mobile phones. Yes. Because effectively, there are many psychologists and statistician type people who are pointing at seriously worrying trends in human social behavior that is effectively um that is not effectively that is in particular affecting young people and in even more particular young girls yeah so for example there was an article in the atlantic so published quite recently about um loneliness and it was really uh, it's really uh, it's 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 a scary one um so yeah. this was by Sad, isn't it? yeah so this is on february 14th Twenty-four, and this is in America, so it's not got nothing to do with our debates or anything. They don't even know it's happening. Uh, it's one of those wonderful things about UK anti-Twitters. We think everything is about us, but this was, you know, way, you know, completely not related to the discussions that we were all having. But this guy, Derek Thompson, he's basically pointing to national data across the states, which again, obviously, it's America, it's not us. Um, so, you know, whether or not it's directly comparable is not straightforward, but it's it's, it's pretty close. And yeah. he's looking eff effectively at, at loneliness um, and the extent to which people are um, like just not hanging out. And essentially the number of people who are hanging out socially in person has fallen off a cliff. Okay, it went, um, I've been locked out of the article now, but it's gone down from like 80% to 60% when they do these surveys of like people who hang, you know, with, hang out with your friends like twice a week or three times a week. The yeah. numbers have like radically, radically declined. Um, and effectively, you know, and that's one metric. You know, there are other metrics like increases in mental health issues and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of these psychologists and scientists are pointing to phones, uh, phones and social media as the principal driver of this. So for example, in that article, he says that the groups with the largest increase in phone use, such as, and this is where it gets crazy. So liberal 12th grade girls. So in America, liberal means like, um, generally can often mean like a little bit richer, more urban, so more city based, um, you know, on average, that kind of thing. Um, the people who are voting Democrat, um, often with parents who have got degrees and stuff like that. Um, and that group has seen the largest increase in phone use. And they also saw the largest declines for hanging out with friends. And he says that's strongly evidence of the right relationship. He also points to randomized experiments where they found that paying people to deactivate Facebook increased the time they spent socializing with friends. 
which again is just further evidence. Now, what he tries to do is then figure out like various explanations and theories about this loneliness. So one is about phones. Um, he says sometimes people talk about um, time that people are spending. So we worry that kids are spending too long doing homework. But the evidence suggests that's not true. He's talking to a researcher now. In fact, homework time has gone down in the past few years and the share of teens who have jobs has gone down. And despite some parents jam packing their kids schedules, overall extracurricular time looks pretty stable in surveys. If anything, teens today have more leisure time than they used to. They just choose to spend it on their phones. So the yeah. idea is that it's difficult to account for anything else here. And then the final explanation um, is about something that we've spoken about a lot, which he calls the erosion of America's social infrastructure. And it's actually a really powerful piece of writing. So, so I'm going to read this out verbatim. Someone told, so, sorry, someone once told me that the best definition of community is where people keep showing up. Well, where is that now exactly? Certainly not church. Each successive generation is attending less than their parents, not community centers or your, or youth sports fields. Even dubious community building power of the office, arguably the last community standing for many, is weakening with the popularity of hybrids and remote work. America is suffering a kind of ritual recession with fewer community based routines and more entertainment for and empowerment of individuals and the aloneness that they choose. That's mega, right? Yeah. I think that last bit where it says the loneliness that they choose, that's really striking, isn't it? Because it is a choice that people are making that they spend more time with their device than they do with their community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I 100% th think that the same thing is reflected here. No doubt. Yeah, completely. I think we, what I, what I see so much of in my job is everything happens over social media. And when you say to kids or what, you know, did, did you go out? with the weekend we with your mates no they're on their own most of the time and I, I just think that's really it's really sad because kids should be spending time with other kids being kids and building relationships and I think it made me think back to there was something else I was reading it wasn't related to this it would probably be some bloody nonsense on TikTok but it linked in my head um when it was talking about um, I don't know if you're a bit young to remember this, but MSN <laughs> Messenger. Of course, I remember MSN you remember Messenger. MSN. I can't quite place where you are in the in the generational schedule. And I used to love just, MSN Messenger. Yeah, that was just becoming a thing. Maybe when I was about eleven or twelve, and the novelty of being able to like go home and just carry on talking to your friends was like it was mind blowing. Like. It, <laughs> like the fact that we could do that and I, I remember thinking when I was thinking about this I was like well a big part of that is to do with the fact that like if I think about my friendship groups at that age it was actually really hard to get together you know one's here 20 miles away one's over here one's here like the rurality of it makes it difficult sometimes to sustain those friendships in person but because that really convenient being that that was MSN Messenger and your song lyrics tabs and your notice me leaving and starting conversations because that was so convenient, it just replaced that desire to actually bother to go and see your friends. Like it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility for one of us to hop on a bus or a train or ask for a lift. But, why but would it you? just became the easiest thing to do. Yeah, 
because you could just do it. And I think I, this, there's quite a big, I could, when I think about when I was that age, there's quite a big difference in that. And actually spending all that time sat on your computer chatting to your friends on MSN, you're not developing the, like the social and the people skills and the relationships with people really. It's weird, isn't it? Because you'd think yeah. that you would be, because you're still talking to people, but it doesn't seem to have the same effect. You know, and, and I do remember MSN Messenger. Do you, I, we, um, and having that one friend who knew how to change the colour in their, like, screen name or whatever it was called. Did you not to... learn, um, like, really basic coding to, like, change your font and stuff? No, I didn't do any of that. Oh, dude. That. But do you know what I also remember? Um, I don't know if this was a thing um, at your end, but you remember, like, when phones could start doing SMS? messages yes yeah and but you could only store like 12 texts yes phone. yeah and they could only be like so many characters yeah, yeah but it was really important the ones that you stored the ones that you chose to keep to keep because what we'd do is we'd we'd look at each other's phones and the messages yes right? and yeah. so you have, to have like if you had like if you were allowed if you had like 12 messages to save you could only save 10 because then otherwise your inbox would be full and you couldn't receive yeah, you any couldn't more get any more so if you've got 10, you probably want like one from one of the cool boys and like, yeah. So, so everyone's like, Oh wow, cool you text girls. that person. Yeah, exactly. And then two from like the next tier down cool girls. And yeah. it was like, <laughs> it was so crazy, but like all of that anxiety, right. All of that, like social neuroticism, which I am blessed that I just don't feel anymore at all. You know, I, I have these like memories of being in school. Like I was relatively well balanced. Like I enjoyed school. I was happy and I had a good cir circle of friends, but like, I remember like really stressing out about the way that I was like tucking my shirt in. And like, there was this kid who used to be able to like really good at like tucking his shirt in. And I was like, Oh, I want to like, he looks really cool the way he tucks his shirt. And I want to try and do that. And it was like, like, like what? who cares? <laughs> right. But like that extreme level of social anxiety, the thing about these phones means that you never have an off switch from it yeah it's constantly there you 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 have no time away from that yeah and, and i think that's the distinction when i think about myself at that age we still had like dial up internet so you could only go on for as long as your mum would stay off the phone so your mum would be like, get off that bloody internet. I'm trying to ring my mother. <laughs> be like, oh, mum, just, just five. No, get off it now. Like that. But it's the constant availability of it now. And the it, like your text messages cost you money there. And if you didn't have any credit, you were done for. Um, yeah. So like all of that is just all kind of gone into the melting pot together to make this inescapable thing that is the internet and social media. And what I really worry about is the way that this impacts kids and their ability to deal with other humans, because more and more, like I, I will have conversations where, you know, a kid might say, oh, um, you know, some, somebody looked at me like this, like they were making eye contact, freaked me out. And I'm like, Okay, but that, that is a normal method of communication. Like you're just not used to it because you spend most of your time looking at your phone and communicating that way. Yeah. And yeah. all of those things that are really important experiences for you to develop responses to what are really normal social cues and social behaviors, those are those are non existent in some kids. Not in all kids, granted, like 
lots of kids have lots of social experiences um but so many of them don't and they just can't you know that i'll be talking to a kid and they'll be like stop looking at me (laughs) they're not being funny they're just a bit like they say it in a nice way you know what i mean but I'm like, that's what you do when you're having a conversation. Yeah, they're just not used to the intensity of eye contact and human yeah. interpersonal connection. Yeah, and they have to practice it. I'm like, God, yeah. you look at me now. Yeah, let's let's work let's work on this. Yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting that that this that I read a really interesting thread online. This is actually on Threads by Meta, which is the uh, social media app that we do recommend, as opposed to X, um, which is awful. Uh, and this is this was a thread by um, someone called Dr. Faye Baghetti who's published a book recently called uh, The Phone Fix, which is, she's basically, she's a neuroscientist. She's a new, a neurological, neurological doctor. What she call herself? She says, I'm a practicing neurology doctor and neuroscientist. Yeah. Um, and she, she like this thread was super, super interesting. Essentially what she was talking about is um, associations um, and the way you associate certain things with certain, other things in your brain so for example this bit blew my mind yeah it's when crazy. i read this i was like why have i never thought about this yeah like can, can, there's an example am I allowed to explain it to the listeners on, or are you just gonna first, sit there with your and then i'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about when my mind blew up so so i guess for me it like relates if you go all the way back to like the pavlov's dog stuff so when you ring the bell and they start salivating and they associate that with food and the way the brain associates things with other things like when we go into the bathroom in the morning we're associating that with like brushing our teeth and doing our business and all of that stuff right but nobody is like nobody will be you know uh i don't know walking home from school and being like oh you know what i feel like i could brush my teeth now or whatever that's it's just the not... exact bit that blew my mind it was coming back to teeth brushing again but yeah. i read that and i thought oh my god I've never once gone into the bathroom other than the morning, God, I need to brush my teeth. It never right. occurred to me that that is a, like a, a context dependent habitual cue that you get. I was like, oh, of course. Yeah. And, and, and the simple fact is, you know, we know this in school the whole time, that there are some spaces in the school where students will walk into and just be quiet. Right. Yes. There's like the situational contextual cues are, are super powerful. And basically what she argues in this threads in this thread is that, because phones are everywhere and we have them with us the whole time, we associate every space with our phones. Yeah. And for me, I feel this so strongly that always when I've got my phone on me, half of my brain is in my phone. Even if it's just like sat in my pocket, um, like I find it difficult to fully focus um, knowing that it's there. And I'm always like, you know, like when I'm marking, for example, I'm, I'm marking a stack of papers or whatever, my phone's next to me. I'll be marking and then five minutes later, I'll just find myself scrolling on my phone. I'm like, how did this even happen? Yeah. Like, when what? did I pick that up? Why am I looking at Twitter? Right. Like why, why am I just thinking of it as a natural, I'm marking and I'm on my phone and I'm on my phone and I'm marking. It's just like natural. This is just what's going on. This is just how it is. Um, so like I try, I've, I've started recently just trying really hard to just remove my phone. So at bedtime with the kids, yeah, I, I know I don't have a strong enough willpower to have it in my pocket and be able to fully focus on the kids. Right. Yeah. And I know that, like, you know, I do these horrible things like Rafi will like I'll be sitting with Rafi on his bed and we'll finish reading a book and he'll be like, oh, I'll go get another book now. And OK, okay go on, go choose another book. And my phone will be out. But I'm like, it's literally four seconds. Right. Yeah. To choose a book. 
but then he comes back and he's like can you read this one for me and i'm like scrolling or whatever so it's not good it's not good parenting um it's not good humaning right yeah. <laughs> so so i just leave it i just put it somewhere else like I, i'll leave it basically like on the little banister um that's downstairs that's like on the like landing so that it's just not there that i'm just not thinking about it and i know it's unavailable yeah and do you know one of my one of my friends said similar when we were talking about this because she doesn't use certain social media apps and we would we were talking about why and she went the day i deleted facebook was the day that my daughter had said to me oh mom like come and look what i'm doing and she was sat looking at a phone instead and she thought what why am i looking at some nonsense post on facebook when i could yeah. be looking at my daughter doing something she's proud of and it yeah. was like that was the thing that that switched it in her mind of like nope that's going yeah and and i th yeah and i think like just moving it away so so what i try and do when i'm when i'm marking now what i try and do is is i'll i'll put my phone at the other end of the room yeah right and i say right well every 10 minutes i'll go and browse or scroll for a couple of minutes or whatever but i have to actively get up walk to the other side of the room and then do it there and then come back mm. and then that almost causes that dissociation that like the place where I'm sitting now is my marking place and the place over there is my phone place. Yeah. And it it's a workload thing as well, because I know if I sit and do my marking and my phone's there, it's yeah. going to take me longer than if my yeah. phone's not there. Yeah. So like the, this comes from a, for me, like I, I don't want to spend two hours marking something when I could spend an hour doing it instead. Like that's just yeah. not who I am. Um, so once I, once I figured out a similar thing, I was like, it's like my brain can't cope with a period of time where it's a bit bored because it's reading something that's not very stimulating. I'm sorry, kids, <laughs> but it, and so it reaches for something that will stimulate it without you even realizing. I'm like, no, you need to go because you're going to eat up an hour of my life here. Phone. Agreed. Agreed. Um, going back to some of this data, um, so effectively we've got the loneliness issue, we've got the constantly being on issue, the being under yeah. the gaze thing. So people like, you know, Jonathan Haidt, who's this very famous American psychologist who wrote these books called, one of them is, the most famous one is called The Righteous Mind, um, where he looks at how we get like really tribal about things and how we're really bad at um, thinking that other people could be right when they disagree with us. Um, but he's also got books like The Coddling of the American Mind, which deals with how we've all got really bad at being healthy psychological humans. Um, and he looks at, um, he's been talking about this for ages. Um, and he's got really, really like a, like a long history of talking about how bad these phones and stuff like that and social media, social media especially for, for, for him. Um, and he's got this amazing graph in one of his pieces where the percent of UK teens, he's got the percent of UK teens depressed as a function of hours per weekday on social media. So they, they look at, they take all these kids and they say, how many hours do you spend on social media? And then they look at their depression or incidents of depression. So if you're looking, if you have no social media boys, you're looking at an instance of about seven and a half percent depression and girls, it's kind of looks like about 11%. Hmm. When you rise to about three hours or so boys is now at like, eight percent maybe so gone up by a little bit whereas girls now is already at like over 20 percent so gone from just over 10 percent to over 20 percent when yeah. you get to five plus hours boys are hitting 15 percent 
okay, which is effectively doubling, right? So go from none to five plus hours in boys is from about seven and a half to about 15%. Girls went from 11% at none to 37.5% at five plus hours. Yeah. Which None is... of that surprises me because the I, there's a, the interesting thing there is the sex differences between boys and girls, that the way that their socialization is different and their exposure online is different. Yeah. Um, but that really doesn't surprise me because so much of what happens on social media is toxic and inescapable, especially for girls. Um, when you look at everything that's going on in the TikToks and the comments and the, you know, random internet perverts and you know, all of that, of course, it's going to affect them mentally. Well, what do you think it is? Because, because I'm not really, I'm not really down with the kids. <laughs> this is a <surprise laughs> you know. to hear. Um, and, and like, for me, I, what, what do you think it is that the boys are doing on social media? And what do you think it is that the girls are doing on social media that can explain feelings of depression? So I think the girls, there's probably two different aspects to it. I think the way that algorithms work and the exposure to what's on social media, when you look at girls' social media, the constant exposure to, you know, filtered bodies, perfect beach bodies, bikini bodies. This is what your hair should look like. This is what your eyelashes should look like. This is what your nose should look like. This is why you need lip filler. This is the makeup that everyone's using. All of that is really, really negatively affecting their view of themselves. So any girl that goes onto social media is going to be exposed to all of that. And that has a really pernicious effect over time. And I think that's one part of it. So, and I put the the blame for that at the doors of social media companies and algorithms, because the more kids see it, the more they feel it. So then they spend longer looking at it and it, it builds the algorithm. I think the other part of it is the challenges, shall we say, of female friendships through the teenage years. Um, so there's a lot of really nasty, really toxic things that girls will do to other girls that you just don't see in boys. So we'll see, you know, or so-and-so's posted this, t this TikTok about this girl or they're all tagging me in this TikTok about who's the ugliest person or that one girl who's always stuck up and everyone's tagging you in it. It's never boys that do that. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm stereotyping girls, but I do think there's an awful lot of bitchiness that is approved and socially um, reinforced that really affects girls' mental health. I don't think it's the same for boys. Yeah. I think it's there's so a bit of it for boys, because I think boys do get the... They get, a, they get a slightly different version of the algorithm. They get the, you know, here's this footballer, here's this rugby person, here's this lad with the abs, here's, you know, Lado with his turkey teeth. And you've got 13-year-old boys looking at them going, why doesn't my body look like that? Like, I think with there's probably what? some of that. With his what? Turkey teeth. Turkey teeth? 
Do you not know what turkey teeth are? No idea. You know when people fly over to Turkey and have their <coughs> teeth shaved into Lyle Stubbs? I have literally no idea what you're talking about. Are you serious? You know when you see people, you know like Rylan? Do you know who no. Rylan is? No. no? Um, I'm trying to think of somebody else. You know these people with like ridiculously perfect teeth, like bright white? Sure. Yeah, so it's a, it's quite a big thing now for males and females to fly over to Turkey for like a grand, have all their teeth shaved down to tiny little pegs and have veneers fitted. What? I've just Googled this. Why yeah, do have people you do, do Have this? you Googled turkey teeth? Good. But why? <laughs> so this is really normalised online for males horrific. and for females. And I'm telling you now, if you, <laughs> there are plenty of planes coming back from Turkey that are full of men who've had hair transplants, and I'm talking relatively young lads as well, like lads in the 20s, um, you know, young this, lads this, getting their teeth done. This, this cannot be healthy. Oh, no, it's one of the most dangerous things you can do. It completely destroys your teeth. But <sighs> it is happening en masse, and then oh this is what young God. boys are being exposed to, and they're looking at you know, the, the socially desirable boys, you, you know, you look at some of our footballers, you look at Garnacho, he's what, 20, 21, young lad, you know, lots of kids look up to him, like, I would love to be like him. He's got these perfect turkey teeth. And so they're, like, they're looking at that really going, why do I look like that? So so what they do is they take the tooth, they shave it down, shave it down, yeah. yeah. And then build it back up again with what, like plastic enamel type stuff. Yeah, cheap crap, I think. Oh, no. Yeah, and then the worst part of it is it obviously it all goes horribly wrong and it doesn't last forever. But the NHS and dentists in Britain clearly won't treat those little tiny stubs. So you're either forced with going private or having all your teeth taken out when it goes wrong. Yeah, and it's really dangerous. That's horrific. Oh, yeah. you've ruined my evening. Sorry, but this is what wow. they're getting exposed God, the world to. Is awful isn't it and the fact that people feel that oh. they have to do this is even worse so like our young lads and this is where i think it, it's slightly changing i think there's more of this for boys oh. now than there ever has been we've lost amy <laughs> ah superb sorry okay. literally it rained these things happen cumbria yeah <laughs> Um, okay, so you were saying the fact that we were talking about the turkey teeth, which I desperately want to move on from because it's it's freaking the it's hell gross, out of me. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, oh god, horrific. Um, so anyway, so what we've seen is loads of data, um, loads of stuff, loads of people being concerned. Now, obviously, in the interests of, of balance, it is important to point out that not everybody is as convinced by this data. Um, so for example, Stuart Ritchie, who's, who's a really, really interesting, um, I don't know what his actual job is. He's like a public scientist, right? He writes and talks a lot about, um, science and public understanding of science and especially stats. Um, and essentially he points to, um, kind of four major issues with these studies. So the first is what he calls vertical lines. So often what you see on these graphs is you see like a long timeline of, like instance of depression and it like goes up and up and up and over time and then at like 2010 or whatever people draw a line and they say ah this is the point where everything changed because facebook was launched or whatever basically he says that's pr that's proper dodgy because 
you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. There's lots of different types of social media. There's lots of different uptake. There's lots of different demographics. There's lots of different groups at play. So it's not, you know, it's not straightforward at pointing at a particular point in time, which is what hate does and says, ah, this is when the iPhone came in, or this is when Facebook was invented, or this is when Instagram started going big or whatever. He also talks about something called vote counting, which is effectively where you look at all of the studies um, and you just count the number that support you and you just ignore the ones that don't. And it's effectively a rhetorical device. So the idea is to, to overwhelm people by saying, well, 73 studies say da -da 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 type stuff. Yeah. One of the really interesting points he makes is, and this is totally relevant to education people, where he, he talks about basically impenetrable studies. So he says he goes into a lot of these studies that people are citing. You read the abstract and you read the conclusion and it says, uh, we have noted, therefore, that increased phone use is associated with increased cases of depression or whatever. And then he goes into the data tables and he says it makes just no sense. He says he cannot make head or tails of what the researchers have actually done. The methodology is unclear. Um, the tables are complex and often, you know, not basically not followable. And he says that how are you supposed to make any, you know, you, you, you essentially have to trust people. You essentially just have to say, I, I trust these researchers that what they're saying is right, but you can't examine their methodology appropriately or accurately. Uh, and therefore, you should be very hesitant about the conclusions that you draw. And then the final thing he talks about, obviously, is is the perennial issue of correlation and causation, which is the fact that, yeah, you know, it, it could be that people who spend more time on their phone are more depressed. But mm. why are they? Yeah. Is it the phone that's making them depressed or is it the people who are depressed spend more time on their phone? You know, yeah. we know that people who are suffering with depression tend less to leave the house, tend less to get involved in social activities and are more likely to seek solace uh, in, you know, doom scrolling or whatever. And it becomes a negatively reinforcing cycle. So it's not clear which way around it is. And so whereas hate finishes his article by saying um, the collaborative review document that, you know, Gene Twenge, Zach Rausch and I put together collects more than 100 correlational, longitudinal and experimental studies on both sides of the question. Taken as a whole, it shows strong and clear evidence of causation, not just correlation. There are surely other contributing causes, but the collaborative review doc points strongly to this conclusion. Social media is a major cause of the mental illness epidemic in teen girls. That's how Hate finishes his article, whereas Richie finishes his article where, don't get me wrong, there are certainly lots of suggested studies. Uh, and the overall phenomenon of increasing mental health problems, especially among girls, does call out for an explanation. But digging into the details of the studies that are often used to stir up the social media panic reveals that the research is far more ambiguous than we've been led to believe. Is social media a major cause of the teen mental health crisis? I think it's fine for the time being to hedge your bets. Yeah, he, he's much more balanced, isn't he? Um, but I'm not... He, the thing I struggle with is that I I see the evidence that he's presenting and I see the logic and I go, yeah, okay. Um, but then I see so much in the day job of what kids are exposed to, what they see, how they feel. And it's like my anecdotal on the ground experience with kids just doesn't quite fit with the logic that he's presenting. Um, and I know that he's taking a lot of issues with, with wider things. Um, I just don't think I agree. Like, I think it's having more of an impact than he is logically suggesting that it might do. So, 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 so this is, this is why data is important, right? Because yeah. I, 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 I am, 
put it like this. The kids that you interact with are the ones who have a toxic relationship with social media. Yeah. Yeah. But there will be plenty of kids in your school who um, take, take, for example, a kid who's really interested in manga, Japanese yeah. comics. Okay. They've got no one in school they can talk to about it. But suddenly they found a community online of people who love talking about manga. And all of a sudden, a kid who really struggles socially and isn't finding their place to fit in has found a home for themselves. Yeah. And I think those, is, are, is that those are the things I don't see. <laughs> I know they happen. And I know for some of our kids, they, they do find like there are positives there. And I don't think it's the case that, you know, for every child, it's, it's this bad. But I think the common factor across them is probably the their outer school context so the kids that have more positive experiences with social media like the manga kid who finds finds their finds their people online um in my experience the teams there seems to be more parenting and more boundaries going on where the experience is positive whereas the kids who are exposed to a lot of bitchiness a lot of the really unpleasant stuff it's because their usage is completely unmonitored it's completely unsafe parents have no right. idea what's going but on then, but then it's not it's not the phone itself that's the problem no the it's phone not. is just it's... making everything worse yeah the phone is amplifying the weaknesses that already exist in that child's lifestyle yeah when when you've got uh, when you've got when you've got two parents who live across the street on the local estate who hate each other and shout at each other every single evening and their kids are now on the phone, on their phones, doing exactly the same thing via Snapchat yeah. or the all these crazy WhatsApp groups or whatever. Then everything gets worse. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's it, what they're brought up around. I don't think that phones are inherently evil. Um, I think yeah. it's the way that they're used that is the evil bit. Yeah, yeah. I it's so oh, it's just so complicated. And coming really back to the is. UK. So there was this, sorry, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so coming back to the UK, there was this article published in the Guardian now last week about, uh, it was interview these two parents, um, talking about the fact that they'd started a WhatsApp group of people. They were basically just worried about online safety and they wanted to find the irony ways of this of, is beautiful, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 let's not get to the irony yet. So what they, what they, they're, what they're worried about is um, the number of kids who who currently have access to phones. So for, so in Ofcom research, 91% of children in the UK own a smartphone by the time they're 11 and 44% by the time they're nine, okay? So by the time kids are hitting secondary school, almost all of them have a smartphone. Uh, and these parents, they were worried about it. They think that, you know, you've, you've there's so many safeguarding issues, uh, so many mental health issues that you can have. Uh, kids can be, um, uh, predated upon and stuff like that. And then you end up with this like social pressure between parents that like the kid is like, well, can I have a smartphone? Parents are like, well, I don't really feel comfortable with that. They're like, well, everyone's got one. My friend, this friend's got mm -hmm. that one. That friend's got that one. That one's got the other one. Um, and basically <laughs> the irony of this, and this is presented in time. This, this whole thing is, is so funny because the irony is not noted. The irony is that they is started it, this WhatsApp group. It doesn't group drop up, does it? And <laughs> no, no, they don't mention it, which grows to a thousand people right uh, within 24 hours right so within 24 hours this whatsapp group goes to a thousand people 
Uh, within a week or so, they, they have to upgrade the group to make it a community. And there's now four and a half thousand members. And this, <laughs> this is what she says in the interview. Before our eyes, within half an hour, there were 30 local groups that sprung, ac sprung up across the whole country. And that's just expanding and expanding. And I'm like, this is the problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> you and parents are like, no, this isn't the you, so you've got in complete strangers yeah. who are meeting each other, right? Yep. And and also what you are communicating to these people is that you've got parents who are worried about their children who are being vulnerable. So you are yeah. actively the advertising that you vulnerable children. <laughs> like, I, hi, everyone. I know that th I don't know 4,499 of you, but I'd just like to tell you that my children are vulnerable. Would anybody like to meet? <laughs> Oh, so ironic that you've got parents who are worried about social media and doing something which is completely mad on social media. Yeah, yeah. I think I just I've I can't imagine just from a purely functional life perspective. I can't imagine a WhatsApp group that size ever being like remotely functional. Like, what is it like in our WhatsApp group? Is what eight or nine of us? <laughs> and like, that's enough. Can you imagine the voice notes? The voice notes. <laughs> It's it's more of a comment than a question. I'd just like to say you can be. Imagine... <laughs> oh, oh God. no! I just it yeah, yeah not, it was not great. It, it, it was amusing. I have to say, it was really funny. But what did fill me with a bit That's, of faith? Yeah, go on. Was the the kind of the acceptance that there are more parents now questioning this? Because I think the bigger the problem most parents have is once the kid turns 11 they go to secondary school they don't want to have their kid be left out socially no one want, wants that for the kid why would you, why would you want that for your kid um and so you're kind of forced into it whereas if there is a wider understanding that like come on we shouldn't really be doing that they're 11 um you then don't have to make that decision it's why I think there's something yeah. in the idea of banning it for under 16s because you're always going to have, oh, I'm the cool mom. I'm giving my kid unrestricted access to an iPhone and he's five. Like you're always going to have that. Yeah. Because socially that, people yeah, have different morals. Hundreds of Pokemon cards. There was always that kid with hundreds of Pokemon cards. Yeah, or the kids. Yeah, they're the ones who would have had them vapes or whatever. You know, you know, like yeah. the ones that think they're cool and actually they're just a really yeah. irresponsible like I'm a those, cool are, those I'm a cool exist oh, yeah piss off <laughs> got no time for it. you're an embarrassing one but okay um, look, we we we've we've been going quite long we've not even hit uk schools yet okay so oh. I, I i really want to get up to this before we finish because the this this blew up then last week because the government released some guidance advocating banning phones in schools now the fallout from this online was pretty intense um and yeah. i'll be perfectly honest with you a bit disappointing um first we had a lot of people saying um things like well all schools do this anyway we don't need the government blah 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 we had a lot of people saying this the government is just trying and the unions were involved in this nonsense as well saying things like oh the oh. government is just trying to distract from funding issues and blah 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 so the first thing to point out is that we have data on how many um what schools um have like outright bans on phones so this is from our good friends at teacher tip um so as of february 24 um 48 percent of schools have of secondaries primaries primaries the numbers are much bigger but, uh, sorry are much smaller in terms of how many so ah forget it right 
many, many, many primaries. So 76% of primaries are collecting the phones in if there are phones at the beginning of the day and giving them back at the end of the day. And another 13% are not allowing them on the school grounds at all. And another 9% are saying not allowed to be used by students at all during the school day. So effectively, 100% of primary schools are just completely banning them. Yeah. Very much the opposite is true in secondary schools where yeah. you have 48% are now not allowing them to be used at all during the school day, plus a further 9% collecting them and a 5% saying they're not allowed on the school site at all. So that's what 14, 52, about 62% outright bans. Yeah. That leaves you with that 38% where they're saying, oh, you know, um, you, you, you can use them in break or lunch or you can't use them during the day, but you can if there's a lesson and a teacher has told you to, um, you know, and that kind of stuff. That's, that's basically the remainder. There's, there's basically no schools that say the students can use them whenever, but a lot of schools are saying, you know, don't use them here, don't use them there or whatever. And I've been to these schools and what I see yeah, is exist. kids wandering the, corri wandering the corridors on their phones. Or yeah. I see kids with headphones on in lessons. In a lesson, yeah. Lesson. I see kids just on their phones in the lesson. I see a teacher going, okay, guys, let's get your phone out. Let's do a kahoot or whatever. And I see kids immediately going on to TikTok, right? Yeah. That is what I see with my own eyes. And we're talking, yeah. third, you know, that according to the data, that's like a, a sizable chunk. Now, the reason then why I think this government guidance is important is because it gives head teachers ammunition. Yes, it's a hundred, a hundred million percent. That ammunition, that backing, that formalised backing is absolutely vital because it can be really hard to make a really bold decision, especially if your school is in turmoil anyway, or you're trying to move some things forward or you're new in post or there's been a succession of things. Like There could be any number of things that make that lack of substance behind what you're deciding even more difficult than it needs to be. And I think I learned trying this. To, you're trying to ramp up standards across the board. You're trying to do phones. You're trying to do detentions. You're trying to do trainers. You're trying to do gum. You're trying to do lateness. You're trying to do all of this stuff, right? And you're battling parents the yeah. whole way through. How, how could it possibly not be helpful for you to say, we're banning schools, we're banning phones. If we see your phone, we will take it. Yeah. Parents be like, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's private property and saying, no, I can do that. Here's the government document that says I can. Forget what's yeah. in it. Who cares? Just what it says yeah, on the front. There. Ban for yeah. in schools. Yeah. And it, I've, I've used that so many times when I've had been on the receiving end of you can't take that phone, you can't confiscate it. And I go, actually, you'll find this point here in this document, which I will copy and paste for you and give you the link to and the page number in the statutory, in the law that is applies to schools will show that I can. And that's really powerful because that gives people nowhere to go. Yeah. Except one time yeah. when someone was like, well, what if a kid got stabbed? Would they not be allowed to ring 999? And I was like, I'm just going to stab myself, really. <laughs> right now. Yeah, very good. I, 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 yeah, I mean, we, we, have, we have like a completely, we have a basically non-punitive phone policy at our place where yeah. we're not, we, if I see a phone, I will take it. Okay? Yeah, that's how I, I will yeah. give it to the, I will give it to the school receptionist and the child gets it back at the end of the day. Yeah. If a student is on their phone, that happens, but they also get a detention. Yeah. Like, 
I, there's there's a handful of occasions this year where I've where I've had to take a phone. So there's yeah. one occasion this entire year where I've taken a phone from a child because they were using the phone. On basically every other occasion, it's because like a kid's alarm has gone off or they forgot to turn off the notifications or whatever, or it's slipped out of their pocket or something. And I'm like, you know, I take the phone. I say, I say, look, you know, you're not in trouble. Don't worry. But you know what the rules are here. We don't see or hear from the phones. I'm just going to give it to Sue at the reception. You get it back at the end of the day. And like, yeah. it, it means they're gone. They're gone. Yeah. And and the advantages of that are, are tremendous, right? Because they don't have this distraction device going off in their pocket the whole time. Um, yeah. They're not on their phones in break. They're talking to their friends. They're not on the phone in the corridor. They're talking to their friends. They don't have this walking safeguarding nightmare in their pockets. Oh, honestly, um, this is what I can't get my head around with schools is how can you give children when they are in your care, you're in loco parentis, you're responsible for their safety. How can you give them unsupervised, unfiltered access to every paedophile and nonce out there that's after them? Like, how can you let that happen in your school and think that that's okay? Like the risk that that could happen is enough to get rid of phones. And what I really struggle with is that the kind of the schools that are in the gray area and they go, oh, you know, we let them have them. We let them use them in lessons at a teacher's discretion. That's great, but how can a teacher monitor 32 phones at once? Yeah. How, they, they can't, and therefore that is a safeguarding issue. And that's something we reflected on a couple of years ago in our school because we used to do something similar. Um, and actually when we, you know, are we happy with that from a safeguarding perspective? The answer was no. Do we know what children are doing on them in our care? No. So therefore they've got to go. Yeah. I think... Um... The reason why I'm disappointed is because I think people, and it's interesting that we come back to Jonathan Haidt, people automatically went back into their like tribal zone of, yeah. I hate Tories and anything Tories do is bad. Even yeah. though there's nothing in that guidance that anyone actually disagrees with. No. Yeah. There's, there, there, you know, there are a few people out there, the, the crazies who are like, no, we need to teach children how to use their phones. Or no, it's a really powerful learning tool. Or they have the, all the world knowledge in their pocket. Why would you want to take that away from them? And I'm like, okay, I've got no time for that. And I, yeah, you know, I no, just, not taking nonsense elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, taking nonsense elsewhere. But by and large, everyone agrees with this stuff. So, yeah. so why are you complaining? Yeah, it's yeah, fine. This, I, I can't... get it. Tory's bad. I understand, but this is fine. Yeah, and, I and think, it's that political yeah, nuance is really important to be able to go, okay, I might not like the Tory party, I might not want to vote for the Tory party, but I can accept that that is useful for school leaders, for people like me who do this job day in, day out. That is really helpful. Thank you, is what we should be saying. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and that's why it's disappointing. And I, I, I just think that a lot of people, it's very easy to hate on SLT. Okay, it's very easy to hate on SLT. And I think yeah. in a lot of schools, some, you know, so often it's justified, you know, they're locked in their offices, they don't get out, they're constantly giving you these diktats, there's changes to policy, and they think that because you've written something down, everything's changed, they've got no idea what's going on in the school, they're making you do this, they're making you do that, completely out of touch, all of that stuff. I get it, right? I get it. But also, my God, some of them work bloody hard. And I think that yeah. people don't realise how difficult it must be to um, log on your emails in the morning or they pro they're probably all getting them to their phones or whatever and be getting emails from parents the whole time complaining yeah. about this, about that, about the other, saying I'm going to report you to this and I'm going to talk to that and I'm going to pull my child and all of that stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, that happens stop. every single day. I deal yeah. with that every single day. More, and, it's, and it's increasing. Yeah, oh, it's getting worse. Like a million percent, it is getting worse. Yeah. And that... And slowly has an effect on you mentally because it 
it is like a never it's not you you deal with one and then there's another and then there's another it's never a completed thing that you tick off it's like oh what now yeah yeah and that's really and it, gets hard. Skin. it gets under your skin doesn't it yeah it's also a waste of my time like i want to be working with kids i don't want to be explaining to you Dealing why we it. set the rules in our school um, and th the way that I want to finish then is by reading out something that Vic Goddard wrote. So um, I wrote that I think a lot of teachers are unaware of just how goddamn hard making decisions that are unpopular with the wider community is. More power to those leaders and anything that can help them should be welcomed. And Vic Goddard, who is a friend of the show, um, and we've mentioned him before to do with COVID stuff. Um, he's, you know, one of my heroes. He's just such a good person. And like the strength, the, the bravery that we're going to, that, that he shows here, he says, I wasn't strong enough. I worried myself to sleeplessness about it. He's talking about banning phones. I can see how many people were brave enough. And that just makes me feel a bit inadequate. That it took a colleague to make the decision. And I'd had enough death threats and legal notices during COVID, to be honest. So what he's saying effectively is that their school banned phones and he doesn't think he did it quickly enough. He thinks he wasn't strong enough to make the decision himself. He didn't want to face the parents. He didn't want to face the death threats and the legal notices. And he, let a colleague make that decision for him now i think the first thing is that we've all been there right yeah Where there's something that we know we should have done and we haven't done it because we don't want to deal with the fallout yeah but i think the strength of character to be able to say that in the public sphere is yeah. next level yeah like i read that and i i wanted to like a give him a standing ovation and then give him a, a big hug and say you you're one of the good guys but like you <laughs> the fact that you're able to say that and to be honest about that, that's what's more important to me than whether you, you could or you couldn't handle it for whatever reason. We need people to actually have the confidence and the, the balls to say that sort of stuff. It's so important. These are real human beings doing this job every day. And it's really easy for people who don't work in schools, who don't do that every day, who don't have the pressures and the, the, challenges that our senior leaders and head teachers have that are sitting on the sidelines that have sniping. absolutely no idea yeah sniping playing politics with it talking about you know what about this what about that it's about this it's funding it's this no it, it, what it is is people in their lives and i'm really grateful that we've got something that might help some people I agree. And I think it's a wonderful note to leave it with um, a standing ovation for Vic Goddard. Woo! Absolute, absolute hero. I did, a little, I did a table bang. I don't ah, know if you heard. It. Well, the, the automatic noise cancelling will, will get rid of that. That will so, get rid of that, won't it? Yeah. Good work. Good work. Yeah. He'll, <laughs> I'm sure he'll be really grateful. Yeah. I think that's probably all we've got time for. So I think uh, probably thank is. you. Yeah, I reckon. That's the wrong one. I remember when we started this, we were like half an hour. We'll do half an hour. Yeah, we'll do half an hour. We've never done half an hour except when, when both of us were dying off with something. Yes. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. Anyway, so thank you so much for listening. Um, if, you, if you'd like to get in touch, uh, you can find us on X or Threads, or you can email me at adam at carousel-learning.com. If you're not a subscriber yet to Carousel Learning, do consider booking in a demo via the website to see if yourself how it could transform your teaching practice. And again, please, 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 if you'd like to support the podcast, the very best thing you can do for us is to hit subscribe and to let your friends know about us. Have a smashing weekend. Bye.